The Lord be with you. So today, after worship, we are going to baptize Sean Meehan. Sean, can you, can you wave your hand for us all? There we go. A round of applause for Sean. Now, Sean is relatively new to our community, so I wanted to share some of his life story with you so you know who this man is that we are about to baptize. And I want to let you know ahead of time, Sean has had a hard life, but he's given me permission today to share the story of his life because it is a life that points to the goodness of God in ways that our scriptures speak of today. It points to the goodness of God's life to such an extent that Sean not only gave me permission, he's excited for me to share this story with you because it hopes, he hopes it will be a blessing to you. So Sean grew up in Southern California with what he describes as a leave it to beaver childhood, right? Living in the suburbs, mom, dad, his dad coached his little league team as he got older. He went on in high school to be on the starting lineup of his baseball and his football team. He was on student council and on the honor roll. And then the summer of his junior year, he went to a party. And as this happens to many people at around that age, he had a few beers at that party. But something curious happened to Sean. Once he'd had a few beers, he wanted more. And a few beers turned into several beers, which turned into many beers. And by the time his senior year began, Sean found himself skipping class and ditching practice to go drink. And he went from a varsity honor roll student to being cut from the team and barely graduating. And Sean says that years later, he, he looked back and he tried to understand why this happened to him, and he realized that he had within him a fear of growing up. He was terrified that when he graduated, he would suddenly have to, to get a job and pay bills and have a house and maintain it, and he was afraid he couldn't do all those things. So to hide from his fear, he turned to alcohol, which of course became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And once he graduated, barely, things got even worse. And so he started to turn to harder drugs to hide from that fear. And now let's, let's be clear, right? At, at the time, he was living with his parents, and so he could put on the appearance of having a functional life, right? He would bathe, and he had clean clothes, and he could shave, all these things that if you just met him, once, you'd think, oh, this is a, a healthy, happy man. And so he could get jobs. He just couldn't keep them. He told me once he got a, a job at a toy store. And they were so impressed by him. They were so impressed by his charming personality, by his professional experience, by his punctuality, that immediately they made him an assistant manager. Until he showed up for his shift on Christmas Eve at a toy store. Hi. He lost that job. He lost every other job that he got. And because he couldn't keep his jobs, he didn't have enough money to keep his car, so he lost his car, which was probably for the best because he got so many DUIs that eventually he lost his license. And he tells me that at 40 years old, he was riding around on a bicycle collecting cans. And he said when he was doing that, he, he once saw a man mowing his, his front yard, and Sean thought to himself, how does that man do it? How does that man manage to have a house and a life 
and take care of it all. Because Sean could barely manage to stay out of jail. Right? Collecting cans is a hard way to keep up a drug habit, and so he would supplement it by shoplifting. And between the shoplifting and the DUIs and the possession, he started to feel like every time he saw the police, he'd end up in jail, because he usually would. He tells me he saw all the finest institutions of Southern California. He saw LA County Jail, he saw Riverside County Jail, he saw Orange County Jail. He was in and out of them. And most of the time, his dad would come and bail him out when Sean called, but eventually he got to the point where he called his dad and his dad said, not this time. This time, I'm not coming to get you. And so that time, Sean got so angry that he responded to his dad by taking the phone in the prison and just starting smashing it against the wall. At which point, the police came and tackled him and smashed his face to the floor, which did not improve his opinion of the police. But when he got out of jail that time, his dad had packed up the house. And his dad moved the whole family across the state to try to get a clean start. Now, for most addicts, moving doesn't solve addiction because wherever you go, you take your addiction with you. But it did sort of work for Sean because when he moved to this new town, he didn't have any connections with drug dealers and he didn't go and seek out those connections with drug dealers. So he was able to kick the drug habit, but beer is sold at every single grocery store and so he was downing 18 cans of it a day. But he thought his life was great at this point because, right, he's living with his parents. He managed to, to get and keep a job at Walmart, and his dad would drive him to work. And he had friends, well, let's call them drinking buddies, that he'd go to parties with and he'd go to baseball games with. And, and he had a girlfriend. He says this was the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen. This was the woman of his dreams. He thought he had it made. And they'd all get together and they'd drink and they'd tell each other about all the amazing things that they were, were going to do. They were going to get in shape. They were going to go explore Yosemite. Now, of course, they never did any of it because they could barely get off the couch. But Sean told himself he was having fun. And he says he was so brainwashed at this point, he thought that he couldn't have this fun. He couldn't have friends and go to parties and, and go to games or go to have a girlfriend unless he was drinking. And so he kept doing it. In Luke 14, Jesus tells us today, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, and yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Now that is a hard passage of scripture and a confusing one, and so an important thing to remember whenever we read scripture is to let the clear passages of scripture interpret the confusing passages of Scripture. So, right, there's plenty of other places in Scripture where Jesus says, love your neighbor. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says even, love your enemies. Right, that last one is hard, but at least it's clear. And so we use those passages of Scripture to understand that Jesus' message is never that we should go around hating people. We are to love people. But our love for God is to be so much greater than our love for anyone else or anything else in our life that maybe when we say no to them to say yes to God, they interpret it as hatred. 
But what Jesus is trying to explain to us is that we are to, to make sure that our relationship with God shapes our relationship to people rather than the other way around. And what God says to Jeremiah today is perhaps helpful in understanding this. God says to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And so Jeremiah does. And Jeremiah sees there a potter. And the potter has got a, a lump of clay spinning on a wheel. But the, the shape of that clay isn't quite the shape that the potter intended. And so the potter squishes that clay down and then begins to reshape it into something more beautiful. And God says to Jeremiah, can't I do that with you? Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done? Are you not clay in my hands, says the Lord? God is the potter, and we are the clay. And what God is saying is, if you are misshapen, and malformed, I will squish you. I will squish you and remake you into something new. God says that to the people of Jerusalem 2,600 years ago, and God says that to us today as individuals. 2,600 years ago, God was saying it to the people of Jerusalem because as we heard last week, the people of Jerusalem had turned away from God. They had started worshiping false idols, committing injustice, and so they had become deformed as a nation. And it seems like if you hear those words, right, God saying, hey, you better shape up or you're going to get squished, most people's response is to be like, okay, yeah, I don't want to get squished, I'll shape up. But the problem is, many of us don't realize when our life is misshapen, when we have become malformed, because we have stopped letting ourselves be shaped by God's hands and are instead making ourselves shaped by human hands. The people of Jerusalem said, what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with us. We're getting rich off of the backs of the, the peasants in the countryside that we're oppressing. Life is great right now. And Sean likewise was saying, this is the best my life has ever been. Right? I've got friends, I've got parties, I've got a girlfriend, I've got a job even. What's not to like? Which is why Jesus says to us, we have to make sure that we are clear who we are letting shape our lives, that it is God's hand shaping our life and not people's hands because sometimes even the people closest to us in our lives participate in preventing us see the purpose that God has for our lives. It's not always the case but it's sometimes the case. And so Jesus is warning us, make sure it is God who is shaping your life, lest God comes and squishes you. Which is exactly what God did to Sean. But God did it in a curious way, because you see, things were going pretty well for Sean. He'd had that job at Walmart, and he'd been able to keep it for a while, and so they promoted him. He, he got a job at a warehouse that was associated with Walmart, and the manager of that warehouse was so impressed by Sean that when the manager was planning to take an extended vacation, the manager said to Sean, Sean, while I'm away, I want you to manage the warehouse for me. It's a pretty good offer. But in this moment, 
That fear Sean had back as a teenager, that fear of not being able to handle life and all the responsibilities that came with it, it came back with a vengeance. And so Sean's response to this incredible opportunity was to quit his job right then and there. He just walked away from the job altogether. And he went back to his parents' house. And when he got there, he looked at his parents and he realized they were getting old, right? He's in his 40s at this point. And he realized they may not be alive much longer. And once they die, Sean realizes, where is he going to live? He could end up on the streets. And now Sean becomes afraid. And in that moment of fear, Sean tells me that something amazing happened. God spoke to him. Sean says he felt the hand of God touch him on the shoulder, and God said to him, it's time. And Sean replied, am I dying? And God said, no, my son, you're about to start living. Jesus tells us that no one who doesn't take up the cross and follow him can be his disciple. The cross is what ends Jesus' life. But the cross is also what begins Jesus' resurrection to new, more wonderful, eternal life. God, the potter, squishes that misshapen clay, but God does it so that God can reshape the clay into a vessel that is more beautiful than it ever was before. And that is what God was doing with Sean. Sean, in that moment, hearing God's voice, he, he went to his mother and said, Mom, I need you to call rehab for me. And so his mom did. And she said, Sean, it's going to be about three hours before they can come and pick you up. And Sean said, okay. And he realized in that moment that if he was going to go, go to rehab and come out successfully, there were people in his life that he needed to say goodbye to, his so-called friends, even his girlfriend. So he called up his girlfriend. He broke up with her over the phone and explained to her that he had to do this because he was getting sober and she was not going to be able to let him do that. Her response was, you'll never make it, which was cruel and maybe a sign that she never really loved him in the first place. But to her credit, Sean's response, seeing that he had three hours left before his rehab started, was to do what most addicts do in that situation, which was to tie one on. Right, he figured, one last bender for old time's sake. But as he drank, he also prayed. He prayed a desperate, sobbing, drunken prayer of desperation to God to help reshape him from who he was in that moment. And when the staff from rehab showed up, that's how they found him. A sobbing, wet lump of clay, desperate to be remade. And so they began to reshape him. They took him to rehab, and let's be clear, Sean says he's been to rehab before this time, but his heart had never been in it. He hadn't been willing to work the, the 12 steps, and this time God had put something in him that made him willing to try. And so he got a sponsor in rehab who said, look, you're trying to break one habit. To do that, you need to replace it with another habit. So make sobriety and make God your new habit. Sponsor said to him, when you get out of rehab, go to 90 AA meetings in 90 days. Every morning, pray that God help you stay sober, and every night, 
thank God for keeping you sober. Make it a habit so that it's not something you think about, it's something you do instinctually. And Sean says in the morning when he'd uh, leave his house, as the garage door was closing, he'd pray in that moment. That's the first thing he did when, he go, when he would go out in the world. And the sponsor said, get yourself connected with a community that will support your higher power. Go to church. And the sponsor said, okay, now we're going to work through these steps. And Sean said it was the fourth step in particular that was most helpful for him, the step in which where he had to do an inventory of everyone that he'd harmed, but also do an inventory of everyone who'd harmed him. And he said that second one was particularly important, that inventory of everyone who harmed him. Because every time he'd think about someone who harmed him, his sponsor would ask, and what part did you play in that harm? And he realized that in most cases he played a big part. He thought about the police in particular, how he thought they were always out to get him, but he realized they were just doing his job. And he, re he says he realized that even the time when they tackled him and smashed his face against the jail floor, he realized that he was out of control in that moment, and they were doing their jobs. And in fact, had they not tackled him, the other cellmates who were waiting to use that phone after him would have taken it out way worse on him. And so maybe he even gives thanks for what the police did in that moment. And when Sean got out of uh, rehab, he was met by his parents. And his parents weren't there to give him a ride home, no. They were there to give him a car, a sky blue Toyota Camry. And they said to him, this car is yours so long as you don't ever drink. The moment you drink, this car is going away. Sean said, okay. And so he drove that car to the job that he got once again at Walmart. And after a few months there, he got a job as a chef, and he drove his car to that job as a chef. And after a while as a chef, he got a, a job working at Lowe's. He said he was, he's not a handyman by any means. He was, felt terrified to work at Lowe's, but they helped train him, did leave him with some anxiety, but he got through it. And four years later, he was driving that sky blue Camry, and he hadn't taken a drink, and he drove up to a DUI checkpoint. And he said, you know, in years past, he was so terrified of these checkpoints. But this time, as he drove up to that checkpoint, he got excited. He's like, what? Finally, a test I'm going to pass. And he drove up smiling to that police officer, and he's like, good evening, officer. How are you today? The officer looks at him and says, oh, you're not drunk. Keep going. He's like, what? No, I should take the breathalyzer. You can't cheat me of this. I've worked so hard. And he wasn't just succeeding at passing breathalyzer tests. He was succeeding in all the things that he used to tell himself he would do. He got in shape. He went and explored Yosemite. But more than that, he started giving back. He started sponsoring other people going through the 12 steps. He started running his own AA meetings. And I want to be clear, his life didn't get easy at this point. He still struggled with hardship. Like I mentioned, right, the anxiety that he got from trying to work at Lowe's, it has continued with him his whole life. And that's part of the reason he's not up here today telling his story. His father died not long after he got sober. He started dating another woman who was amazing. He was so excited to be with her, but she was someone who liked to drink and to like to go out to bars and when he was saying, I can't do this with you, her response was to actually try to kiss him one time with wine in her mouth to force him to start drinking again. Once again, he knew he had to put God in the life God was giving him 
above this person. But in the midst of all these challenges, whether they're heartbreak or the death of a loved one or an anxiety, he didn't have to fall back on those old habits of hiding his fear because he had built a new habit of turning to God with his fear. Not to say God would make everything easy, but that God would hold him. He could keep his life moist like soft clay and give it over to God's hands so that each time he was in danger of being bent out of shape, God could shape him once more in the right direction to open him up for opportunities that he otherwise could never dream of. For instance, he reconnected with one of his old uh, Little League buddies. Decades later, he connected with him on Facebook, and as they were you know, posting on each other's wall on Facebook, one of the Little League buddies' friends, a woman from way back when, saw that Sean was a, a friend with her friend, and, and she reached out to him, and they started chatting, and, and they said, why don't we meet up sometime? You seem like a good guy. And so they decided to get coffee, and as Sean was there at the coffee shop looking out, he saw an undercover cop car pull up. And out of that undercover cop car stepped the woman he was about to have a date with, but she was wearing a badge and a gun. And he realized he was about to go on a date with a cop. And he started laughing at God's sense of humor. And that woman is named Denise, and she is sitting there right next to Sean. They've been married four and a half years. A round of applause for that, yeah. Back in March, they bought a house up in paradise. They got two beautiful labs, uh, dogs. Um, starting in April, they started attending here at Faith Lutheran. They have been to every single worship service since they've started attending. And in that house up in paradise, Denise bought Sean a shadow box, which I want to show you. Because inside this shadow box hangs his sobriety medals the coins he gets for his first 24 hours sober, for his first month sober. And down here in the corner is his medal for 14 years sober. Let's give him a round of applause. God has been working in Sean's life for a very long time. But today, Sean is getting baptized. And Sean's getting baptized not because he needs the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has clearly touched him in a way that most of us yearn to be touched by God. Sean is getting baptized today because he knows that God doesn't reshape us just one time in life and says, now you're perfect, you're done, I don't have to work with you anymore. No. God reshapes us every single day. And every single day, we get out of kilter. And every single day, God comes back and starts working us again. And Sean knows... That is, God is shaping your life. You can do it the hard way or you can do it the easy way. The hard way is making your heart hard and saying, I insist on the life that I have, God, and I'm not letting go. And God says to Jeremiah, I can work with pots like that. I smash them and rebuild them. Or we can let our hearts be softened. We can put our hands, put our life in the hands of the potter and trust that God knows how to work us and reshape us, we can let go of what we want and put ourselves in God's hands. And so Sean is getting baptized today to keep his soul wet, to help himself remember that he is in the hands of a potter who is shaping good things for him even when he can't see them. 
so that the waters of baptism are the daily waters that keep him from getting hard. And so I invite you today after worship to join us in heading down to the creek to watch Sean go under those waters of baptism to hear the words of God say to him that he is God's beloved child. May we too hold to those words of promise. May we too keep our hearts wet and malleable. May we love not the shape of the clay that we have become, but may we love the potter who shapes us into something beautiful. May we love not the life that we know, but the God who is making our life into something better than we can possibly imagine. Amen.